God's word. Shall we pray together? Our gracious Father, as we come now to your word, we ask that you would grant us your grace to be able to give your heart, our hearts and minds to it. Father, you're mindful that for many of us this has been a busy week. There are many things on our minds, there are many concerns, there are many unresolved issues, there are many things we're already thinking about for the new week. And so, Father, in times like this, it's so easy for us to become distracted, for us to start thinking about everything else. But, Father, won't you help us now? Would you help us to be able to fix our minds and our hearts and our attention upon your word? To remember, this is, this is your word. You are speaking to us from heaven. What a privilege that the living God should want to speak to us. And so we pray that, that you may help us now. That we may hear what you have to say to us this morning. That your word would find receptive places in our hearts. That we would be eager to hear your voice and just as eager to take hold of your word and and to trust it and to build our lives upon it. So Father, come and speak to us now by means of your spirit. And Father, won't you please be so gracious as to grant me your grace and your spirit and your enabling to speak your truth and your truth alone. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Well please do turn to that passage that we read earlier from Numbers chapter 6. I think it's a passage that appeals to many of us because it is a blessing. And who doesn't like to be blessed? We all want to be blessed. Those of us who were born into a, a church family or into a Christian family and all likelihood shortly after you were born your parents would have brought you uh, up to the front of the church and they would have asked the minister to bless you to pray for God's blessing to be upon your life as a child growing up just yesterday there was a blessing that took place here as a man and a woman came together to be married and their marriage was blessed we prayed and we asked for God to bless their marriage and Lord willing if he is gracious in a few years time they will come up here with their children and ask for their children to be blessed we pray for God's blessing to be upon people when they find themselves in in difficulty and distress in fact we even ask God to bless someone when they sneeze we all want to be blessed and so this morning we're going to look at a blessing However, this is no ordinary blessing. I believe it is the the greatest blessing anyone could ever receive. And what makes it such a great blessing is that it is a blessing that is given to us, not by another person, by another human being, but it's given to us by God himself. The fact that the word, the Lord, is repeated three times in the passage emphasizes that this is a blessing that comes to us From God himself, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord bless you. It's a wonderful, divine blessing that God seeks to pour out upon his people. A blessing that comes from the throne of heaven and it comes directly, specifically for God's people. Well, we've read that 
larger passage from chapter 6, verses 20 through to 27. The blessing itself, well, it's just one sentence in verses 23 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, the blessing begins with that first phrase, the Lord bless you. As I just said a few moments ago, we all love to be blessed. We all want to pronounce blessings upon people, even for small little things such as a a sneeze. And the result of that is that the word bless has, well, it's lost its meaning. It, It just rolls off of our tongues so easily. It's interesting, when, when, when we moved to this country from South Africa, one of the new phrases that we had to, to learn was when you, you tell someone about a friend being ill or, or your child having hurt themselves, and they respond, oh, bless. That's, to us, was a foreign language. What do you mean, oh, bless? But we use this word so freely, so easily, that it's lost the, the impact of its meaning. But to say to a, an Israelite, The Lord bless you. Well, that was to pay them probably the greatest kindness. Because you were were saying to them, may the great, all-powerful, unchanging, sovereign, redeeming, covenant-keeping God, may he bless you. But it goes further than that. See, ancient Jewish cultures is not like our Western culture today. We, we live in a very individualistic, self-centered culture. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's not uncommon to, to hear a person say, well, I, I need to look out for myself first. I need to take care of myself before I can take care of, of anybody else. What I need, what I want, matters more than anybody else. We're fiercely independent. Fiercely individualistic. But not so in in ancient Jewish culture. Ancient Jewish culture was very community-centered, family-centered, people-centered. People, your family, your community mattered more than your stuff, mattered more than your time. And it's reflected in this blessing. When it's, which it's written in the Hebrew is that it, it's written to show that it's it's not just personal in its blessing, but it's also broad in its application. So to say to a person, the Lord bless you, you were in fact saying, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord bless all that you are, and all that you have, and all that you do. May may the Lord bless your family, your spouse, and, and your children. May the Lord bless your household, your father and your mother, your siblings, your servants, your your livestock. May the Lord bless you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. May the Lord bless your health. May the Lord bless the work of your hands. May the Lord bless the produce of your ground and the, the offspring of your livestock. It was to proclaim a blessing over the whole person, the entirety of their lives, all they are, all they have, all they do. It covers the scope of their entire life. Nothing is left outside of that blessing. So pray may God's blessing be over everything in your heart and in your life. The blessing continues. May the Lord bless you 
and keep you. It's promised to, to bless each and every one of them, to bless every aspect of their lives, and now it's followed by this promise of keeping them. And it's a beautiful word that speaks of, of protection. It speaks of being surrounded by the protecting hand of, of God. Literally translated, it means to place a hedge around. May the Lord place a hedge of protection around you. Well, as I've already mentioned, I did not grow up in the UK. I was, I was born, in fact, just down the road. I, I am from Camberwell, but... Uh, I spent the majority of my life in southern Africa. And when you travel to the more remote rural areas, to the the tribal lands, you're able to see how the local herdsmen keep both themselves and their family and their livestock safe. I remember on one occasion I was visiting a a missionary in Kenya, uh, near the border with with Tanzania. uh, And uh, as we were walking through the bush, uh, they were pointing out to us, where all of the local predators lived. She pointed to some holes next to a tree. She said, those are the dens dug out by the hyenas. Further down, she said, that's the trees we normally see the leopard in. Further down, that's the game path that you will often find lion tracks on. You think, how would anyone want to live in such a dangerous place? We're frightened enough of these animals when they're, when they're behind a fence at a zoo. Never mind to have them just roaming around the area where we live. How, how do you sleep at night knowing that all of these predators are out? Well, they sleep at night because they've built a hedge around their homes and where they keep their livestock. And it's no ordinary hedge. It's a hedge that, that is, is woven out of thorn trees and thorn bushes and thorn branches all tightly woven and packed together and then it has just one narrow entrance which they can block up at night. And they know that as as long as they remain inside that hedge of thorns, well, they are largely safe. They're safe from any predator. Their families, their livestock are all safe. Well, here this blessing that God is promising of protecting them does exactly this, but to much greater effect. A thorn hedge doesn't always protect from attack. It's susceptible to fire. It requires constant maintenance, and you can't take it with you. It's not a portable hedge of protection. The moment you you leave, the moment you exit that hedge of protection, you are out in the open, vulnerable to attack on every side. That's largely how the people of Israel were feeling. Here they are in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. They've got no fences. They've got no walls. They're open to attack, vulnerable on on every side. And yet God comes with this promise. I will set a hedge of protection around you. God makes this promise several times over to the people of Israel through the ages. Another place where he makes this promise is in the book of Zechariah. When the Jews had returned from exile to their their city of Jerusalem, which was now just a a city of ruins, everything knocked down and demolished by the Babylonians, their their wall reduced to a pile of rubble again, open and vulnerable to attack on every single side. And God, through his prophet Zechariah, brings this promise to them. In Zechariah 2.5, he says, I will be a wall of fire all around. God giving this wonderful promise of planting a hedge of protection, a wall of fire. To protect his people. 
Think of those precious words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verses 28 through 29. Let's say much the same. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That that hedge of protection that God is promising to place around his people is none other than his own hands. My hands will be that hedge of protection around you. Who better, who greater to protect us than the living God? May the Lord bless you, all that you are and all that you have in every possible way. And may he place a hedge of divine protection around you at all times. The blessing continues. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Well, what does it mean to, to have his face shine upon you? Well, perhaps it's think about the opposite. What would it mean to have God's face turned away from us? What would it mean to have God hide his face from us? Or what would it mean for us if if when God looked upon us, his face was was darkened? Well, it would indicate to us that there's a problem. That, That God is obviously very displeased with something about us. But then when he looks upon us, either he cannot bear to look upon us, and so he, he turns away from us, or, or, or when he looks at us, he's, he, he's stirred to, to disappointment, perhaps even anger, because his face is, is darkened. So for God's face to shine upon us, well, that must mean that God is looking upon us favorably. And when he looks upon us, he delights in us. When he looks upon us, he, he is pleased by, by what he sees. And so his, his response is to shine, as it were, on us. To, to shine down his love, his, his blessing, his favor, that we might know the light and, and the warmth of it. That God is, is looking upon us and saying, I delight in you. I rejoice in you. Receive my blessing. Receive my favor. And this phrase, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, is is closely connected to the next phrase. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And this phrase, be gracious to you, well, it's the key to the blessing. It's the foundation, or you could say it's the, the anchor point of this blessing. Because if you remove this phrase, be gracious to you, the whole blessing just collapses in on itself. The only reason why God would bless us and keep us and cause his face to shine upon us and lift up his countenance on us and give us his peace is because he is gracious. Because he is exceedingly, abundantly gracious. Because he pours out on us a grace that we do not merit or deserve, but gives it to us as a free gift. Any reason why God would want to bless us is because he is gracious. I realize that that's contrary to the way so many people think. Many people think, well, God exists to bless us. That's God's role and purpose, isn't it? To bless me. To prosper me. To give me what I want when I want it. Many people, in fact, I remember sharing the gospel with someone in our, in our local wreck, and, 
And he says to me, why would I want to believe in a God that doesn't exist to give me what I want? What's the point of serving a God who, who's not going to bless me? Not going to give me all the things I want when I want them. Well, let me ask you this question. Did the people of Israel deserve this blessing? Did they deserve to receive God's favor? Had they lived such remarkable and impeccable lives that it was deserving of God's favor? Had they lived such exemplary lives that God couldn't but help himself by, by responding and just pouring out blessing and saying, of all the people on the earth, you deserve this the most. Just, just look at how fantastic you are. Well, we know that's not true at all. How often do we read in the exodus of the manner in which they behave towards God? They constantly moan and groan and complain against God. They question God. They even accuse God of evil. Deserve this blessing? And deserve this favor? And perhaps as a prime example of, of God's undeserved favor, his unmerited, his remarkable grace, perhaps a prime example of it is seen in the very person who was commanded to proclaim this blessing every day upon the people of Israel. This blessing is often referred to as the high priestly blessing or Aaron's blessing. Blessing that the high priest was to proclaim upon the people of Israel each and every day. And as the first high priest, Aaron, had the privilege of doing this. But consider who Aaron is. What kind of man is Aaron? Well, he's a man who has a bit of a thorn in Moses' side, at times even questioning Moses' leadership, questioning God. But most significantly, he's the very man that led the entire nation of Israel into idolatry. Whilst Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law from God, what is Aaron busy doing? He's making a golden calf. And he's eating the whole nation of Israel in the worship of idols. Now, it's not as though Aaron did not know better. We just need to think of the events of, of the Exodus itself. But probably just a, a few days or a few weeks before Aaron made the golden calf, where was he? He was standing, assembled with the whole nation of Israel around Mount Sinai. He, he saw that, that thick black thundercloud. He, he heard the thunder. He, he heard the lightning. He saw the lightning. He, he felt the ground shaking beneath him. He heard God's voice speaking. A point that's often overlooked when it comes to the, the Ten Commandments. We think, well, you know, God gave the Ten Commandments to, to Moses individually, privately, while he was up on the mountain. Well, no, not if you read Exodus 19, 20, and 21. It says that God spoke to the whole assembly. They all heard God speak out the Ten Commandments. And it's, it's only after God gives the Ten Commandments that they rush to Moses and they plead with Moses saying, make it stop. We can't bear to hear God's voice speaking to us anymore. You go up and, and you listen to God and, and then we'll listen to you. So Aaron had heard with his own ears the voice of God saying, you shall not bow down to any idols. You shall not make for yourself any 
graven image. You shall worship only God. He had heard that with his own ears. And yet, there he is leading the whole nation of Israel in false, idolatrous worship. So where should Aaron be now? He should be dead. Dead under a pile of stones. He should be dust blowing around the deserts. But here he is, being installed by God as the nation's high priest. The man who would have that privilege and role of bringing sacrifices before the living God to seek forgiveness for sins committed by the people of Israel. That man that would have the privilege once a year of going into the holy place and and sprinkling that blood upon the mercy seat to seek the forgiveness of God on behalf of the nation. What remarkable, undeserved grace that God gives to those who do not deserve it. And it's a grace that ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. It's a grace that we read earlier of in, in Ephesians chapter 2. A grace that, that, well, we, like the people of Israel, like Aaron, have done nothing to, to deserve. Because we are, like the people of Israel, disobedient. Because we live for ourselves and in a, in a manner that's, that's contrary to, to God's commands. Because we offend God. Because we, like Aaron, reserve deserve only to receive God's judgment, condemnation, and punishment. Paul expresses that so well in Ephesians 2. And then there's that wonderful phrase, but God. But God being being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What does he do? He pours out his grace upon us. In Jesus Christ. He works in love, in mercy, in power to save us from our sins and our offenses against Him, from our disobedient and wayward lives. Not just to bring us uh, forgiveness, but to bring us salvation from the eternal consequences of those sins. And not just to bring us salvation from the eternal consequences, but to then bring us into His kingdom. And and not into His kingdom as as slaves, but His, His kingdom as His children, as His people, as His covenant people, His holy nation, a people belonging to God, His people. All by His grace. And all through what Christ has done through His life, His death, and His resurrection. And what makes us all the more incredible is that God then offers that to us for free. He doesn't say work for it first. He doesn't say deserve it first. He doesn't say merit it first. He says here it is. My free gift of grace. The forgiveness of sin. The salvation of your soul. An entrance into my eternal kingdom. As my child. As my people. The free gift of his grace. We could say that that even though this blessing was written. Thousands of years before Christ was born. Christ is the foundation. 
is the key point of this blessing. Because he is the demonstration, the perfect demonstration of God's grace. If God was not gracious, he would not have sent his son. And he would not have redeemed us. And we would never have known the truth of this blessing. Because God is gracious. This blessing now comes to us through Christ. And this blessing then builds on that grace. A grace that draws us into God's people, into God's kingdom. Because the blessing then goes on to say, The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Countenance is a rare word. In fact, I I cannot ever recall having heard it in conversation outside of the Bible. So what does it mean? Well, let me illustrate it for you. Imagine a loving father towards his child. This child finds themselves in, in a particular moment of distress and need. And so they go to their father. And they go to their father because they know that their father loves them. And they know that their father will receive them, irrespective of what the situation or the circumstances may be. If they walk into their father's presence, their father's response will be immediate and it will be favorable towards them. And so the child goes with confidence into the room where their father is. They ask for their father's help and he responds by lifting up his countenance upon them. Otherwise, he replies, Yes, my child, I'm here, I'm listening, I stand ready. To hear you, to to help you. The child is willingly, lovingly, joyfully received. And they can go to their father, realizing that their father has the ability to help them with whatever they are struggling with. Of course, we realize that in in a human perspective, well, that can only ever go so far. It's a wonderful thing when your, your children are young. Because they look at you and they believe you can do anything. There was a time when my son looked at me and believed that I was the strongest man in the world. He no longer believes that. I like to think it, but he no longer believes it. And and therefore, he will realize one day that dad's ability isn't sufficient. There are things that dad cannot do. And there are things that dad does not know. And there are things that dad cannot help him with. But how great the confidence that we can have in this blessing. Because who is the one that we're going to? Who is the one that's lifting up his countenance upon us? It is the Lord. The all-powerful, the almighty, the all-knowing. And to know that, that he stands ready to receive his children. Whenever they come to him, he lifts up his countenance upon them. He says, yes, I'm listening. I'm standing here, ready, willing, able to undertake for you. Come, whatever it is, come. And you will receive my blessing and my favor. May the Lord bless you in all that you are and all that you have in every possible way and and place a divine hedge of protection around you at all times. May the Lord pour out the light of his love and the warmth of his favor upon you as you delight and trust in his grace that redeems your soul. May the Lord always be ready to receive and listen to you and undertake for you as you look to him. 
what is the result if you do all that and if you know that great blessing of God upon you? Well, the result is what this blessing ends with, and give you peace. It's the natural, logical conclusion. When we know the truth of this blessing in our lives, when we have such a rich and deep and personal relationship with God, having received this this tremendous grace through Christ, well, what could possibly then cause us to fear or fret? to be distressed or plagued with anxiety or with a lack of assurance when we have such a God as this who gives us this blessing each and every day. The word used here for peace is probably one of the few Hebrew words almost all of us know. It's the word shalom. It's most often translated in our Bibles as peace, but the English word for peace is is inadequate. Um, For us, peace, well, it's hard to give it the the depth of meaning that shalom has. For us, peace is largely just the absence of conflict. So we could say at this present moment, uh, in the United Kingdom, there is peace. We're not at war with anybody, so we're at peace. Well, if you ask me, it doesn't feel very peaceful. When I go out and about in the streets up and down Thornton Heath, it doesn't feel very peaceful. I think of peace as just being the I guess the absence of, of conflict. But shalom is, is much deeper than this. It's to speak about a, a true abiding peace that goes beyond the surface and into the soul. It brings peace to the soul. It's the kind of peace that we sang about earlier. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I know that whatever my circumstances might be, because I have such a God who has poured out such a blessing upon me and is so gracious towards me, whom I can go to at any time about anything and know that he will receive me favorably, that he will will bless me, that he will place a, a hedge of protection around me, well, then I can have peace. Though I should be buffeted by the waves of trial, the, 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 the evil one might come against me because I have such a God as this. I can say it's well with my soul. Because his peace reaches down into my very heart and soul. It's, it's the soul-satisfying peace because it's, well, it's peace from God and it's peace with God. It's peace that's given to us by God himself. Therefore, it's not human in its nature, it's divine in its nature. And it's peace with God that has been purchased and secured for us by the Lord Jesus Christ that brings us into a right, eternal, personal relationship with God. It is soul-satisfying, eternal peace from God and peace with God. There is no greater peace. And so may the Lord bless you. All that you have and all that you are in every possible way. May he place a a divine hedge of protection around you at all times. May the Lord pour out the light of his love and the warmth of of his favor upon you as you delight and trust in his grace that redeems your soul. 
May the Lord always be ready to receive and listen to you and in his love undertake for you as you look to him. And may he give you true, abiding, soul-satisfying peace. A remarkable blessing. There is, however, one more very important point that needs to be made clear before we close. This is an exclusive blessing. It's not a general or a universal blessing. This blessing only applies to those who are true members of God's kingdom. You see that? Because this blessing is commanded to be given to the covenant people, the people of Israel, not not the whole world, but to God's covenant people. Of course, we understand that the the old covenant points to and is superseded by by the new covenant. So this is for this is not for everybody. Now this blessing only applies to those who are true members of God's kingdom. It only applies to those who have personally, deliberately, consciously placed their hope, their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done for them, who have asked for for the grace of God to bring them into God's salvation. And favor it is only for those who through Jesus Christ are our children of God by means of the new covenant purchased by Christ's death, established and accomplished in the resurrection. Only they will know the fullness and the truth of this blessing. For it is only they that are the people of God. So are you part of God's people? Are you a child of God? Have you placed your hope and your faith and your trust in the, in the perfect work of Jesus Christ? Well, understand this morning that if you have not done that, then you must not and you cannot expect to know this blessing. In fact, if, if you continue to remain in that state, if you continue to not trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation and, and God's gracious gift of salvation, well, Scripture warns us that we will, in fact, come to know the opposite of this blessing. Because you will come under God's judgment for your sin and your refusal to trust in Jesus Christ. And so for you, if you remain in that state, this passage will read... The Lord curse you and hand you over to your enemies. The Lord hide his face from you and pour his just wrath upon you. The Lord will not permit you to enter into his presence and you will be restless for all of eternity. That sounds unpleasant. but it is the just consequence of all of our sins. And if we refuse to trust in Christ, that is what awaits us. However, the wonderful news as we've read from Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy and with the great love that he has of, God has made a way for you to know that blessing today. He offers to you that, that, that free opportunity to come and join his family. 
And he offers it to you right now as a free gift. All you need do is to seek his forgiveness and salvation and trust in faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. As we close, ask yourself this question. Right now, am I am I under God's blessing? Or am I under God's curse? Am I a child of God? Or am I still living outside of God's family? If you know that you have personally, deliberately, consciously trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you can leave this morning rejoicing, knowing that this blessing comes to you each and every day. I would encourage you to memorize it. I would encourage you to recite it to yourself each and every morning as you awake and to remind yourself of of who you are and what you are and, and what God does for you. Rejoice in it. This blessing is yours. It's ours each and every day. And we know the truth of it now and we will know the fullness of it one day when we see him face to face. But this morning, if you have not, well, you've had the opportunity this morning to hear and see the goodness and the grace of God that has been freely extended to you. This blessing can be yours. And the wonderful thing is, no matter what you may have done, God stands ready to receive you. Is that promise he will lift up his countenance upon you. If you come to him seeking his salvation, he will gladly receive you. And you can leave this morning knowing for the first time in your life the blessing of God. Let's pray together.